This is the Mojo, the Meaning of Life and Business podcast, where life and business intersect. Hosted by Jennifer Glass, CEO of Business Growth Strategies International and BGSI Coaching. We are dedicated to your success. Welcome to another episode of Mojo, the meaning of life and business. On today's program, we're going to be talking about getting to a point of putting your story into a book and what that means to be in a position to share so much of what makes somebody tick, what makes somebody grow, what makes somebody change enough that the information that is now in your book is going to be shared with so many more people. And so I'm really pleased that on today's program, we've got an incredible guest in Rachel Beck, who is going to be our guest on the program. But before I bring Rachel in, let me tell you a little bit more about her so you know why she's such a great guest to be on this program. Rachel Beck is a rising voice in the movement of women's storytelling. It's rooted in a cross-cultural adoptive family love story, unlike any other. Lifted up by wings, strengthened through struggle, Rachel's story flies in the face of society's expectations for women to look a certain way and slip comfortably into the American dream. Not that our cultural dreams aren't beautiful, yet what happens when life changes our plans? Rachel's heartbreakingly humorous anecdotes of initially coping, then soul-searching, and ultimately releasing anger at her body and the world shines with insight into the deepest core questions of human relationships and identity. Who am I? And why am I here in this wild world? With vulnerability and grace, Rachel simultaneously captures and frees the emotions surrounding all sides of adoption, her intense encounters with racism, her path to a loss of motherhood, and her courageous renaissance. Illustrating how the end of one road is only the beginning of another, and the unforeseen is also beautiful and perhaps more fulfilling than we could have ever imagined. Rachel, thank you so much for being here, and that's just, wow, your story from your bio is incredible. So let me ask you, as we bring you in for our conversation today, there's so much going on that you have been dealing with. How did you manage to get through so much of what was thrown your way in terms of the loss of motherhood, the racism, the issues that you are facing? How did you manage to just deal with that? They, first of all, Jennifer, thank you so much for having me on your show today. It really is my honor and privilege. I think the world is. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. It has been a lot of hitting the ground, falling down, and then having to pull deep inside my soul to get back up again. And I can see those moments. The, where I made that choice, I have fallen, Jen, so many times. I, I, I've lost count of it, that it was choice. It was choice. And I have to say, I'm very blessed because I have a strong support system 
I have family and friends who got through me some, through the hardest times in my life, but it was a choice. And was it easy sometimes, Jen? No, it wasn't. Were there days that I just wanted the blanket over my head and stay there? Absolutely. Absolutely. So as we look at having those days, and I'm sure a lot of us have been there mm -hmm. and have tried different ways of trying to figure out what do we do when we're in that situation, what were some of the things that you found worked for you to help you get out from under the covers? There are a couple things. Um, I don't know if you know this about me, but I have PTSD. I was diagnosed with it uh, many years back due to a deeply traumatic situation. And I had to you know, I'm very pro, and this is just me sharing my story, but I'm extremely um, pro-therapy, right? And because I've had so much trauma in my life, I've had very strong therapists to get me through it. And I was taught certain tricks to survive, because a lot of it has been about survival. Um, so some of the things that I did as a choice is People needed me. People needed me for the very serious things that they were facing in their life or what they were going through. My dogs needed me. You know, that time I had two dogs. I had a lab and, the, and another dog who was a rescue. They got me through it. They were a huge source of strength for me and so I'd get up you know I am a huge walker I do that every day sometimes twice a day and they needed me so I got up and spent the time with them and went through all of it my art got me through it a lot of it I'm a retired photographer but I did that for 10 years and now I do it as a hobby if I'm not being creative my soul will die I know that about myself, like my, my soul will die and I will not be who I am today. So my art helped me get, got me through it. My disappearing into nature and just being gone for a couple hours deep in the woods or down by the ocean. So I've learned to, through tools, I've learned to listen to what my soul needs. And I'm, I've come to a point where I will listen to my soul guiding me. Does it guide me the right times? Absolutely not, Jen. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. I'm human. We all have made wrong choices. Yes, of course I have. So I've listened to my soul. I've had three near-death experiences. And it was actually someone had studied me for part of her paper when she was getting her message. I've had three near-death experiences. And I remember when the third one happened because she had interviewed me and the second one had happened. And, you know, she was doing this paper, you know, it was in a coffee shop. It was, you know what I mean, in sections. And then I had the third near-death experience. And I said to her, I don't know why this keeps happening to me. And she said, I could tell you right now because your story is not done. Wow. Your story is not done. And that is such a powerful statement 
your story is not done. I mean, if you think about it, a lot of us are sitting here trying to figure out the existential questions in the world. What is the meaning of life? I mean, that mm-hmm. is one of the greatest questions. And um, just because Monty Python popped into my head and the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, I have to say 42. Um, for those of you that know that, I have to throw that out just because we need a little bit of that um, lightness interjected, but not that it's that point. I mean, a lot of us have certainly been dealing with the issues and not to belittle what you were just saying. I mean, that was absolutely incredible going through everything and having that statement because your story is not yet done. So let me ask you then, as you went to start writing your book then, and looking at it as a way to share some of that story that is not yet done yet, how did you go about looking at the book and getting the book to a position of acting in some therapeutic fashion for you as well in writing that? So let me tell you, this is a beautiful story. You're going to love this. (laughs) Okay, the idea of, of... The book actually came from one of my girlfriends. She actually, you know how we, you and I talk about seeing what, to see something inside of somebody, bring it out that they don't necessarily see in themselves. That's the most beautiful thing that you can gift in another human being. So I had gone, I'm in my mid forties, right? I'm climbing up to 15. I'm very proud of that. <laughs> and uh, she had called me and gone back to school in my forties, finished my degree. And she had called me, I had met her in India and then she had traveled back or, and we definitely feel like it was, you know, meant to me. And she said, you know, Rach, I'm sitting here. And I said, yeah. And she said, I feel very strongly in my heart. You need to write a book. And I said, what are you talking about? I'm not an author. That's not, you know, it's not what I do. She goes, do me a favor, sit down. And she knows my, like knew my life story. And she said, do me a favor just sit down on your computer, tell me what happens. But the first day I ended up writing five hours and it was like that every single day. Um, and I wrote the book from like in August and October, I hired a publisher who was also my editor. And I called her when I was done and I said, how did you know? I said, how did you know you had a, I had a book inside of me? She said, I knew it, I just wanted you to see it. And it was what a beautiful thing one, one of your, you know, girlfriends in your life says to you, it's like, Jen, I see you're going to be a future artist. Jen, you're going to rock this world. Jen, you're going to be successful. Jen, everything that you deserve is going to come your way. And everything that you ever want or need. Or Jen, you know what? You're thinking about doing this, then go for it. We all need those people in our lives to see something that we don't see in ourselves. So that's how the book came about. That's exact, And it was, I had to relive a lot of traumas writing the book because you you know for an author I write from a cellular level I don't it's hard to explain that so it was tapping into all of it again things that I'd closed down in my mind things that I had experienced that I never wanted to experience I mean there were moments Jen I'm not even gonna lie to you I was crying while I was typing because I'm, I'm reliving reliving it I'm, I'm reliving you know the miscarriages I'm reliving every 
everything my body's gone through. I'm reliving all those moments. I mean, it brought up the grief, which you know, grief comes in waves and it's like a tidal wave. You're doing great. Boom, boom, boom. Something happens and you're starting all over again. And with the grief and PTSD, I can certainly relate as a 9-11 survivor. It's uh, something that every year is thrust back in the uh, forefront in terms of for all of the families that lost their loved ones, for all the survivors, we all have our own traumas that that we dealt with and are still dealing with uh, 20 plus years. Uh, after the fact, but for so many people, that grief and the PTSD and all of the incidents that happened up until this point in our lives have created such a place in our soul that when we look at trying to figure out what we can do, we very often feel even more lost. So for you to be in a position that you are able to write the book and get that on paper, get the publisher to take it and release it and um, put it out there is definitely an incredible story. And uh, I'm going to just share with our listeners, the name of the book is Finding Your Way When Life Changes Your Plans, A Memoir of Adoption, Loss of Motherhood, and Remembering Home. So can you just tell us a little bit more about the actual story in the book so that we can really get a better idea who Rachel actually is? Yeah, I was, and thank you for asking, Jen. Um, I was born in India. My mom died two days after giving birth. I am looking for my biological father. That's been a journey. I was put into the founder of, into her home who was building the orphanage, which is still standing there today. She actually rescued me. I was borderline dying and she was a nurse and she had founded this orphanage and she took me in and she saved my life. So I've actually had three mothers, right? My biological, my foster mom, and I stayed in her home till I was adopted, as you know, by a Jewish family in America. That's how I became an Indian Jewish woman. And then uh, my mother who raised me, right? So I'm looking for, and so I've been fighting for my life since I'm two days old. And I, I, I just realized that I've been fighting for my life for some years. I'm sorry, God, you survived because you have been in a position to help so many people because those that two-day-old self did not give up. Because through all of those near-death situations that you were dealing with, you did not give up or give in. You have continued to be a shining beacon to so many people simply because you have continued to fight. You have continued to be a voice. And 
for those of you that are listening, Rachel on LinkedIn has weekly videos that she does that reach so many people and the uplifting stories that are shared in so many of those videos. You don't even know how many hundreds or thousands, if not more people you're touching simply because that story was shared and you continue to move forward. And so it is really an incredible Uh, celebration of the fact that you have been fighting since you were two days old. And if you think about where all of us have come and all of us are in our own lives, what do we need to do? How do we do? And everything. It's because we're all having our own fights at different times. And it's our human instinctual nature to keep on pushing and going and doing what we can to really make that difference in the world. There's a idea in Judaism uh, called tikkun olam, fixing the world. And it is all because of what we do in that, that is what drives what we're supposed to be doing in the world. And so from what you have been dealing with and the cards that you were dealt, right, the miscarriages and the health issues and your biological mom dying and, you know, all of the racism that you faced here in the U.S. even has been such an important story. And it gives you the flavor of what you share every time you speak. And it's really important because for everyone that's listening, you've all had your own flavors too. There's a saying that I heard, life is like a smorgasbord. What are you going to take from it? And it's exactly that idea that when you are looking at your life and you're taking a little bit of this and a little bit of that and you're putting it all together, you're marrying the different flavors that are in your life, which is going to be making a huge impact in terms of where we go. And that, Rachel, I think is where a lot of your strength has been coming from. Thank you for being a caring and empathetic human being. And I love you for it, Jennifer. It's just something I'm trying every day. You understand what I'm trying to do. You understand that I'm trying to make this world a better place. You understand that I'm, I'm trying to lift other souls up that are good, kind souls. That they just need a little bit of help. And that's what you and I are trying to do. We're, we're trying to light those souls up, those kind, beautiful souls that just need like a little help. I find it really, really frustrating that it's the kind people who are changing this world, 
taking it forward, doing their best, their best as whether they're running charities, you know what I mean? Those kind people who are suffering, I, I hear from them all day long, that just need that one moment. They just need that one break. They just need one human being to believe in them. But they're out there and, and they're doing phenomenal things. And then, you know, I'll hear from them say, Rachel, you know, we need funding for this. And they're out there, you know, doing the most freaking important work in this world. And it is beyond frustrating to me that they can't get that help. So that is why I have chose to do what I'm doing with this show, is to get people help. And that's absolutely a, an incredible motive to really make a difference and to reach more people, like you were saying, to find those souls, to find what it is that really can make a difference in the world and who knows what tomorrow is going to bring. You know, they say yesterday is the past, tomorrow is the future, today is the present, and we have to honor it as the gift that we were given. And so the more that we continue to look at what it is that we're doing today to make that difference, that way tomorrow is a brighter future for everybody, is really an incredible story. And that really goes to the idea of even the name of this show, Mojo, the meaning of life and business. It's not just business alone or anything else because we need life. We need business to help in life. And so there's all of these issues that are out there. And when we're looking at what we're doing, all of these past issues, like we said, come back and remind us who we are, that it shapes our future in a much better light. But let me ask you in your experience with the book and your experience with the publicity that you had after the book mm -hmm. and where you are with where you want to ultimately get the messaging through. You mentioned to find those souls and to touch the people. What drives you, though, to keep going even well, when well, you're... Sorry? I can tell you. I'm very happy to share with you. So you know I've shared with you privately that part of the proceeds of my book are going back to the orphanage. That, that's, that's what I'm doing. You and I both know about Sadaka. You know about Tikkun Olam. Jen, I have this major goal that I'm trying to hit. A major, major goal. I don't forget where I come from. And it is concerning, like, around... It, it's around the orphanage and things that I have in my heart that I would like to do for them. But it's why you see me get up every single day. And until I hit that goal, I'm not gonna stop. My purpose has nothing to do with me. N not one freaking bit. People don't know that about me. They don't take the time to learn my story. They think that I'm out there. People have such misconceptions about social media influencers. They don't understand us. They don't take the time to understand us. So, and that's why I've been doing the show for three years. That's exactly why it's introduced. This is a real human being. I'm trying to humanize social media and say, number 250,000 is my friend, Jennifer Lastman. Please meet her today. She's a real human being with a heart and soul. 
So what I'm trying to achieve, I want to, I don't care if people call me naive about it. I am going to do everything in my power to end racism, to end anti-Semitism. I have huge ideas around it. I have discussions. I, I, I see it in my head. I know that it is possible. And I've been speaking on diversity awareness for 15 years in many different, many different avenues. So I'm deeply passionate that I will use my voice to end racism and to end anti-Semitism. So let me ask you with the speaking that you're doing and the experience of the anti-Semitism and racism, would you be open to sharing some of those issues that Absolutely. <laughs> I can share lots of it because I've had the worst experiences of uh, racial incidents in my life the last couple of years. I get kicked out of places because they call it my skin. Okay. People think that this only happens in the 1950s and whenever, you know what I mean, like a long time ago before civil rights laws passed. I get kicked out of places because the color of my skin. I'm told that my credit card is not real, that there's no way I could afford one. I'm followed up to places and followed in stores. I've actually been followed to physical homes that I own, right? Where people have followed me down the street, making sure that I actually live there and been followed up to my front door. Um, I get followed in stores. Um, I have been told I can't shop places. I could never, ever afford it. The whole, you know, there's a vibe, right? There's a vibe that I'm an empath, so I pick up on people's vibes. Jen, some of the things that have happened to me have been downright scary. People bang on my glass door, my car. I've had that happen twice this year, asking me what my race is. I've had people ask me, um, talk down me and call me. The, I'm not even going to say the names here. I'm sure you can imagine what they are. The worst names ever. Complete strangers. Um, whether it's a derogatory name for the color of my skin or for being a Jewish person. And I'm proud to be an Indian Jewish woman. I'm done apologizing for that. And I will no longer do it. I'm done stepping into a place of conforming to make other people comfortable. Now I want people to be comfortable with me. And Jen, it has taken me years to come to this place. I don't want to apologize for being an Indian Jewish woman anymore. I've had some extremely scary incidences where um, I didn't know how I was going to end up. You know, I didn't know if I'd be talking with you today. People, it amazes me, people send me messages and they say, racism still exists in 2022? I said, yes, it does. And that's why you and I are having this conversation, right? This is exactly why you, you and I are having this conversation because it very much does exist. Um, I told to get, I'll leave the name out. I needed to, I was picking up and obviously I didn't go back to this restaurant to spend money there again. They'll never see another dime for me. I was like picking up an order and someone said, you need to, you, your kind needs to stand in the front. That was last year, Jen. That was, and I said, excuse me? 
and they said your kind needs to stand in the front I if you know you and I both know I have a voice a strong voice and so I almost walked outside that restaurant filmed a video to say who they were and what they were doing and I didn't because I thought of the employees and the people of their jobs and so that happened you know, we need we need your kind to stand in the front you know and I said excuse me like we really don't need you in the back you know and this is exactly how the conversation went Jen because I will never forget I came home beyond fears we don't really need you in the back with the customers that was last year Jen that was a year ago so yeah it's very much it's very much very and obviously I didn't spend money there I'm never going back there people don't get my money you treat me like it's just not going to happen so and so all that stuff, instead of, I choose to, let me say this the right way. I rise above it. I set the example. I don't return hate with hate. What I do is I take love. I put it over hate. And that's how I'm going to freaking win. That's exactly how I'm going to do it. I will never lower my standards. I will never lower, go to their level. I will not engage with them. Lots of times when things happen to me, Jen, um, very scary situation. You mean people, I'm walking, minding my own business and people are screaming the N-word to me. That was last year. And I'm minding my own business, taking a walk. So, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna- that's, that's a sad state of affairs that that's the world that we're living in. <laughs> and I mean, you think about all of the progress that has been made and you look at the last several years, the rise of anti-Semitism across the globe. Oh, so scary. Yeah. The rise of anti-Asian um, incidents just because of COVID and uh, issues related to that. Issues still in the wake of the Ahmed Arbery case mm -hmm. of the, um, the three white men who killed the black guy and all the other stories that have been going on and on uh, that have been continuing to shape our news, continuing to shape the way that we're looking at things. And this is 2022 when we're recording this interview, which is incredible to think that that's still, you know, 60 years after, almost 60 years after the um, signing of the Civil Rights Act, mm -hmm. that this is still going on and what's happening. I mean, it's just, we're trying to figure out where we go. And so, a lot of it is going to be education. It's going to be keeping our kids from learning the same hatred. Because we know hatred is a learned emotion. It's not innate. That's if you right. have three babies sitting there, one is a white baby, one is a black baby, one is an Asian baby, the three of them are going to play together because that's what babies do. They don't see color. They don't see race. They don't see anything that is going to mean anything different to them. And so we really need to stop this hatred and 
one of the things that I've been saying all along is any time that we give foreign aid from the United States to an international government, we need to be putting in requirements against hatred, removing mm-hmm. that kind of information from any textbook that's taught in school. Mm-hmm. If you look in many places, that's exactly what's still in those same books. Internally, we need to do something as well. We need to be figuring out what is it that we can do that is going to make that difference. The more that we see where we're going to be, the more that we know we're going to be making that tomorrow a better tomorrow for all people. And yes, I know I'm going back to my utopian ideas. I don't see that as a problem, though. And I'm sure a lot of you that are listening don't honestly see that as a problem either. Again, we weren't put on this world to make it worse We were put on this world to make it better for tomorrow. No matter what religion you are, even if you're an atheist, you have to believe that there's a greater purpose in life. It's not to destroy the planet. It's not to destroy mankind. And that's exactly, I think, Rachel, where you are coming from with your book, with your speaking, with your influencing, that you are trying to make such a difference. I try every day, sweetie. I try. Every, I want to talk about two things that you said because I have some stories about that. So I was sitting in the playground. Came, as I was listening to it, came into my head, and I studied. I'm, so I minored in psych and gender studies, right? And I studied a lot about law, and I studied a lot about you know um, sociology, and I took a class on you know racial history in this country, and then took a class on family. Well, as you were talking, in racism. If anybody gets this message and I think Jen you guys can't see us in this conversation but Jen saw my reaction racism is a trauma and it's a very deep 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 painful trauma and I Jen I'll share with you personally I just had an experience last week just last week and I'm just sharing that well now I'm sharing it with you audience but I just had an experience last week um And what happens, Jen, and if your listeners get this, for me, one racial trauma opens up, brings back every other one that I had. One racial trauma brings back every other racist experience I've had. It is that deep of a trauma, and that's what people might not understand. And when you were talking about the children, I would say, I want to say like 20 years back, I was at a playground and I witnessed that. I saw three children of different ethnic backgrounds playing together, probably like two, and they're having the best time in this sandbox, building their sandcastles. And a person came up and pulled, which I said, oh my gosh. She said, it wasn't my kid, but I was like with my friend and their kid. I'm like, oh my God, they're having the best time. Can she stay for like 10 more minutes? They're still building their little sand. And the, the woman looks at me and she goes, no. I said, oh, why? They're having so much. She, and she said it right. My child will not play with these children. And, and my girlfriend and I, who are both highly educated, we looked at each other and go, and there's a beginning of hate. That child was two years old in the sandbox and all 
he, you know, she wanted to do was build sandcastles, be kid. And when we knew it, we're like, that's the beginning of hate. So I 100% agree with you that it is a top behavior. I've studied this. It is a fact. Now saying that, I've also, um, I've talked to people who grew up in racist homes, right? Not by choice. That's just the, what was passed down to them. Now, what's beautiful is many of them left at 18 and started their lives all over. And, and I've, I've discussed with them, said, Rach, I didn't have a choice with K to 18. This is what my family taught me. What am I going to do? I'm in that home. But they would leave, go to college, and become their own person. So it is a choice. It is absolutely a choice. But for people to understand it is... It is so much trauma for a human being to experience. And that's really a terrible way to be dealing with life. I mean, there's so much positive in life. There's so much to get, so much to give. And it goes back to the idea, what are you doing in terms of giving back to your community? Are you giving back, right? In what ways are you giving back? One of the things that I was taught by my parents was that when a community gives you so much, whether it's through friendship, through help, through connection, through whatever the community is giving you, you have to give back. I have been teaching my kids the exact same thing, and I lead by example. I serve on so many boards and commissions that sometimes people wonder how I get anything done just because I am on all of these boards and commissions. And it's because of the fact that I believe that the stronger our communities get, mm-hmm. the better the nation gets. And it's not just the United States of America. It's across the globe. There's no reason that any foreign nation shouldn't have the same benefit. Right? One of the things that I have been long pushing, and I'm going to share it here, is when we help our people get new jobs, get more money, get the training they need to be in a position to do that. We help lift them up. When we lift them up, a lot of the socioeconomic issues that are present in the lower socioeconomic regions start going away. When we provide more education, we give a lot of these kids more opportunities to get out of those areas that are going to be in a position to hurt them. We give our communities a chance to be increasing in value, in education, in lifespan, in health, in happiness, in success. We start seeing a decrease in crime. We start seeing a decrease in obesity because people know how to eat better and have access to better food. We start seeing better jobs. We start seeing better opportunities 
for everybody. And it's not a problem that we have to maintain a bottom 1% and a top 1% and everybody else. There's no reason that we can't make people better. And I'm not saying this as a socialist, communist, or anything. I'm saying it as a realist who believes that it's totally possible to be helping our people get a better foothold in life to leave a better tomorrow. The more that we see where we're going, the more that we see how we're going to be making that change, that's going to be creating even more opportunity. Everybody on this planet can be in a better position. And I think, Rachel, with your story, with your book, with your speaking, there's a lot of that that you're trying to start doing and a lot of that that you are reaching people in terms of where they go and the message that you're trying to leave them with. And I think that that's really a major testament to the power of getting out there and shining a light and being that shining beacon that can really draw a lot of people to you and leave a lot of people in a better position after hearing you. Thank you, Jen, for your beautiful words. And it's our jobs as human beings, right? You and I think the same way. We need to leave people better than we found them. And that is, it is so beyond necessary now that I can't even begin to say. You and I both know it. We know how much um, people are struggling, they're hurting, they're scared, they're anxiety ridden. I mean, that's that's the reality. Of what's going on, what's going on right now? I mean, that that's real life. You know, no nobody's living in this unicorn rainbow world. It doesn't it doesn't exist. Otherwise, I'd be there. I, I would pack up and I would go because I've had enough pain and trauma to last me the rest of my lifetime and my lifetimes after that. I'd pack up and go to, I'd be like, Jen, I'm moving to the universe, but we know it doesn't exist. That's not there. But we better lead people better than we found them. And I think that's a great place for us to end our conversation, to share that we have to leave people in a better way than we found them. And so as you're thinking about what you're going to be doing today, think about what you are going to be offering as community support, community service, volunteering, mm-hmm. giving to others. And giving does not have to even mean necessarily volunteering time. It can be a simple compliment when you're in the supermarket. Can you tell the cashier and the people that you're dealing with, you did a great job? Can you tell somebody that you're walking down the street and just say, have a nice day? When you see the person who's taking the shopping cart at the supermarket parking lot, can you tell them thank you too? You never know how a simple comment can make the world to so many people. We don't know how many people are fighting mental illness and severe depression. They mask it extremely well. 
And when you go and you say something positive, simply like, have a nice day. You see me? I'm not invisible? I mean, all too often we go past the housekeeping staff and the janitorial staff in various entities. And they basically blend into the walls because we're so harried. But we don't have to say that that's what they are. We can recognize them. We can say, hello, how are you? Thank you. Have a nice day. When they see that people recognize them, that they're not invisible, they start getting a better outlook on life too. And that can be your community service. If absolutely nothing else. So on that note, this has been another episode of Mojo, The Meaning of Life and Business. Thank you, Rachel, for being my guest. And until thank next you. time, thank you. And until next time, here's to your success. This has been another episode of Mojo, The Meaning of Life and Business podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving us a review, liking us, or reaching out to us. You can contact us at bgsicoaching.com and let us know what you think. Thanks so much again for listening.